0: Hey, what's up, everyone? How's it going? If you don't know me, my name is Luke Hazelmeyer, and I'm one of the young adult pastors here. And it just occurred to me this morning that about a year ago in October is when Van originally contacted me and asked me to meet with him to talk about potentially coming on staff here at this church. And it ended up happening, obviously. And I could not be happier with where I am right now. Isn't this church amazing? And yeah. not there cool stuff happening here? Wow, so, much, so many cool things are happening here. So we're in this series called Why Are We Here? And the major focus of this is why, not only why are we as individuals kind of here like philosophically on the earth, but why are we as a church Why why do we exist? Why do we as Vineyard Northwest, why do we exist? What is our mission? What's our purpose? What are we trying to do in Cincinnati, in Ohio, in the country, in the world? So that is a really cool series of Van kicked off a couple weeks ago. I want to continue it, and what I want to do is basically just kind of share with all of you how a lot of the things that I've been learning personally are things that I've been seeing other people around me learn and things I've been seeing this church really grow in as well. And in fact, this church has grown me. So I'd love to pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, we love you, and we love it that you love us. So come be with your kids, God. Come speak to us. Come stir our hearts. Most of all, Jesus, we just want to know you more. Amen. Okay, so how many of you know 2 Corinthians 5.17? I'm sure most of you know it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. You see, we all used to have an old self. We used to all be dominated by our own fears and by our own insecurities and our anxieties and our stress. Those are the things that would motivate how we acted every single day. I would do this because I was afraid of that. I would do this because I was stressed out for, about this. I would think this way because I had this anxiety. This was my life. I was dominated by all these things. But that old self is gone. We have a new self now that is ruled by the peace of Jesus Christ. We can access that peace whenever we want because it literally lives within us. No matter what is happening externally, internally, we can always be at peace and always be at joy because of Christ on the cross for us, taking our guilt and our punishment and our shame, giving us righteousness. It's good news, isn't it? So we have, So the old self is gone. The old self also used to be dominated by doing whatever, you know, whatever craving, whatever pleasure-seeking temptation. Every, that was, the old self used to live in that way. Now, we, with our new self, not only do we overcome temptation, but it's not like we have to try super hard and, and God just gives us just enough strength to kind of overcome temptation. We don't even want that stuff. We just want Jesus. And we continue to learn every single day of our Christian walk how much and how we can more be satisfied in him. And the old is really gone. It's not still around. Think about it this way. If you have a dishwasher that's broken, when you get a new dishwasher, you don't install it next to the old broken one, do you? And have like two dishwashers, and maybe you fix, you get the other one working barely, and then you have, oh, which dishwasher shall I use today? Oh, use this one. No, you take it out, and you don't even store it in your garage. I mean, maybe some of you keep your old dishwashers, but that's kind of weird. Can we agree on that? No, you throw out your old dishwasher, you put in a new one. Some of you guys, right? Or some of you men are thinking, hmm, if we had two dishwashers, that means we could postpone doing dishes twice as long. Yes, yeah, yeah. good, okay. My clip broke, sorry. So, what are we talking about? Dishwashers. <laughs> Okay, so, um, the old is gone, the new has come, and that's happened in my life, personally. Sorry, guys, I don't know what happened here. Okay, hopefully this works out. Old is gone, new has come, that's happened in my life. Let me tell you all about how, lo- how lost I was for a period. From age kind of zero to fourteen, I, uh... Wouldn't say that I got into any deep darkness, but my life, my faith was a roller coaster. Anyone identify with a roller coaster? You know, you have highs, you have moments where you encounter Jesus, you hear his voice. You know, for me, it was always like, you know, tears, crying, snot on my face. Oh, God, I love you so much. Yeah. And then you get back to kind of real life. Usually that'll happen at a conference or something. And you get back to real life and you kind of realize that. What you experienced, um, wherever you were with Jesus, you're not really making that a part of your real life. You're still considering your real life as being something different from your faith. And, and so, yeah, I was, I was living this roller coaster. I would have moments with God. I would hear his voice. I would encounter his presence. I even saw miracles, but I still was on this roller coaster um, up and down. From zero to 14, however, I didn't really get myself into a whole lot of trouble. From 15 to 19, I got myself into a ton of trouble. Um, I really began to make a bunch of destructive decisions when I turned 15, whether it was uh, just getting drunk, getting high, um, stealing and shoplifting, whether it was getting kicked out of my parents' house twice before I graduated, um... And then I kind of pushed the substance stuff, and then I became incredibly hateful towards everyone. And I, was, I just had this superiority complex about me. I was prideful. I was getting in fights. I was just kind of this wild, rebellious teenager. And I knew I'd had moments with God, but the faith that had not yet come, had, bec- it had not yet become my own. It was still my parents' Christianity. It wasn't mine. And it wasn't until I turned 19 that it really did become my faith. This is what happened. I moved out of my parents' house with two of my friends, Pete and Tyler. And my friend Tyler had grown up going to church. My friend Pete, however, was an atheist. This is where the story gets a little strange. Even though I was not at all living for the Lord in any way, shape, or form... I still really, really wanted my friend Pete to believe in God. I think it might have been like a pride thing. I think I wanted to be right about my worldview and be right about my philosophy. But whatever the case, I really wanted Pete to intellectually accept the premise that God exists. And so I would argue with him and argue with him and argue with him. We lived together, so it was pretty easy. And never did I see any traction. He never one time started, you know, he never even got close to coming to faith or coming to belief. And I'm getting frustrated and I'm thinking, why is this not working? And I remember sitting in my apartment in Clifton. I remember I paid like $200 a month for this apartment. It was small, run down, bed bugs. Yeah, bed bugs. I said bed bugs. Um, And (laughs) <laughs> I just remember sitting in my room around like midnight or so yellow me and me and me and, my, and my friend Tyler at the time we shared this room and there was all yellow walls and sitting there thinking like man what's going on and all of a sudden God speaks to me and I hadn't heard his voice for years really hadn't heard it since I'd been at one of those conferences and he speaks to me and he says Luke And it was in a a gentle, it was not like a harsh, it was a really gentle way. Luke, how are you going to lead someone to believe in me if you're not even following me yourself? (laughs) And I just felt this conviction and I made a change that day. Now it wasn't things didn't happen overnight. I remember I that that night particularly I found this Bible that was in my room. And this Bible is one my parents had given me. It was ripped in half. It had only Isaiah through the New Testament. The other half, who knows where it was. But I had this Bible. It's dusty. Never one time had I opened it. It was at the bottom of this cupboard of this like tub that I had full of stuff. Pulled this Bible out and I opened up to Philippians chapter 1. Don't know why I chose Philippians. Just, I just felt drawn to it. Read a chapter of the Philippians. Went to bed. Next night, read Philippians 2. Went to bed. Next night, Philippians 3. And I've just about read my Bible every day since that night in April of 2010. And the changes I started to see in myself, they didn't happen overnight. In fact, I still was pretty much... Um, the same person that the, for the, that first couple months as I was beforehand, except I was, um, starting to begin my relationship with Jesus. Now, um, there was definitely something changed in me. My heart was changed. My heart was oriented towards God. I had this soft spot, the soft spot in my heart for God, but outwardly it was not so evident at first. But well, slowly, as I read verse after verse about loving and kindness and forgiveness, I began to realize, wow, I can't have this, like, I used to have this attitude. If I don't know you, I don't like you. I used to say that all the time. Man, I can't have that attitude. Can't have that attitude if I'm going to, uh, if I really want to commit to this, if I really want to be loving Jesus above everything else. I can't, I can't have that. Other stuff started falling off. You know, I can't be getting into fights with people because they look at one of my friends wrong. If I want to, if I want this to be my life, it's okay. I want this, this is what I want my life to be about. Slowly, I started to change. Then, um, I, I started my second year of college. And I, at this point, it's been about six months. I'm, a, I'm pretty solidified in my faith. I'm spending time with God every single day. I'm leading a small group of high schoolers. And... I'm feeling pretty, pretty solid. Um, Like this is not just going to be a phase. This is not just an uphill. Like I'm going uphill from here on out. And I want to tell you all about a one major struggle that I was able to conquer by the power of Jesus. And then one really awesome thing he's been doing in my life um, in the past couple years. So the struggle as I mentioned to all of you, when I, before I really kind of got born again, again, you get that? Born again, again. Um, I was into this debating thing, and I, I kind of stayed into that. I Really, immediately after I came to the Lord again, I started reading C.S. Lewis books. C.S. Lewis is a famous Christian apologist, a uh, brilliant thinker, and... What I mean by apologist, that's a person who practices apologetics. And apologetics is making a rational, logical case for the existence of God. And so I would read all of these apologetic books, um, mainly ones that C.S. Lewis had written. And I'm really enjoying that. I feel like, oh yeah, I'm like the best arguer now, and I can debate anyone. I really liked that um, for some reason. Don't really play around with it too much anymore. But... That was kind of a part of my faith pretty early on. So, as I'm growing in this intellectual knowledge about why God must logically exist, you know, I could tell you about the cosmological argument, the ontological argument, the moral argument, the inductive case for Christ's resurrection, so on and so forth. I'm not going to tell you about any, any of those, but as I'm growing in this head knowledge, I uh, decided it might be. A good idea to buy a best-selling book on atheism, read it, and then be able to refute all of the arguments that the author made. So I buy this book called Godless by this author named Dan Barker, and I read it. Now, this is probably a year into my faith. And if I'm honest with all of you, not one of his like arguments swayed me in the slightest— they were all things I'd heard before. But there was one part of this book that had a drastic impact on me that would stay with me for 2 years every day. One of the chapters of this book was his personal testimony about how he had went from being a passionate Jesus-loving pastor to where he was now, an atheist. And not only not only was he just an atheist, but he was actively trying to um, convince people to turn away from Christianity. And described how he started off as a pastor, and he was a part of YWAM, and went on missions, and had seen miracles. Although he later um, he later dubbed those as delusional, and how he'd heard God's voice and all this stuff. And I read his testimony about how he had fallen away. And I thought for the first time in my life, maybe this guy's right. Maybe all of this isn't real. Maybe this isn't true. And it stayed with me, like I said, for two years. In order to try to combat that, I just dove even deeper into into this apologetics thing. And I was reading book after book after book. I was debating on this online forum for like an hour a day, I would like type out these arguments and debate these atheists and agnostics and over online. And I like, I was really good at arguing. Like I'll say that. I was really good at debating about this. I, there was a guy, I remember one time I, I was able to hold my own with this 40 year old guy who had a PhD in physics. And I'm like debating him and arguing with him. You know, I'm like 19, 20 year old kid. I was able to hold my own. I'm doing this every single day. And you would think that as all this head knowledge increased, that my doubts decreased. Well, my doubts, what they were like is they were like this voice in my head that whenever something would happen, like whenever I would be spending time with God and I would read something that Jesus did, I'd hear this voice. Did did Jesus really do that? Can you really trust this book that you're reading? Or when I would see someone get healed of something, the little voice, do they really get healed? Or is it just like a placebo effect kind of thing? Or I'd be, uh... and so this just continued, and uh, that voice was always in the back of my head, and I'm, I'm diving into apologetics, and I'm doing this online debating thing, and you'd think that that voice would get quieter, and the doubts would go down, but they only got more severe. And I'm doubting every single day, I'm having doubts about whether any of this is true. And, and as these doubts just continued, I, uh, one, thing to, one thing to know about this is that in this time period where I was having these doubts, I was still, I mean, I was probably spending an hour a day in my Bible with Jesus. I was praying and hearing him speak to me. I was leading a small group. I was leading a Bible study. I was doing all these things that would make someone from the outside assume that I'm this like super solid, secure Christian leader. But I had this internal struggle on the inside. And I'm doubting and I'm doubting. I can remember one particular night. I was hanging out with Wilson Cochran, my best friend. And we were watching Law & Order SVU. Some of you have seen it. It's like a crime show investigation, a crime investigation show. We're watching this and the plot line of this episode is kind of particularly emotionally disturbing. And it really affects me, affects me emotionally. And I'm driving home alone. It's like bleak, like dark and dim lighting all over. Driving back to my apartment in Clifton and the doubts start to well up. And usually, when that would happen, I'd be able to say a prayer and kind of shoo him away for a while, or I'd be able to, uh, you know, um, muster up some argument in my head, and that would work. But in this moment, I was like so numb emotionally from not only that that show I had watched, but also just from it had been about a year and a half of doubting every single day that I was fighting, actively fighting against every day that I think was piling up. And as these doubts start to well up, I realize that all my usual strategies for dealing with them aren't working. And the doubts are coming, they're, they're rising and they're rising, and I, and I get scared, honestly, I'm, I'm scared. And I'm thinking, am I about to lose my faith right now, in this moment? I uh, turn on the radio to try to to soothe the doubts to try to hear some like inspiring song. And it's my least favorite Christian song ever that comes on. Of course, you know, I'm not going to say what song it is. Cause some of you probably like it, but, um, so I turned that off and, uh, and I just, I cried out to no one really in particular. It's not fair. Why do I have to deal with this? Why am I different from every other Christian? Why do I have to think this way? It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. And in that moment, I didn't hear some crazy revelatory word. I didn't hear, um, I didn't have some powerful, like I didn't see an angel or have some powerful Holy Spirit experience. But I felt this sense of peace that came out of nowhere. Peace that transcends anything we can understand. And I just said out loud, God, I don't care if I go a whole 24 hours without believing in you, I'm sticking with you. I don't care if I go a whole week, I'm sticking with you. I don't care if I go a whole year, I'm sticking with you. I'm not abandoning this. You see, although my mind, although there is a stronghold in my mind, there was a influence of the enemy that had control over me to some degree. Um, although there was that stronghold in my mind, my heart had been changed by Jesus. I knew for sure that my heart, my soul, my spirit, that I was completely different. I was a different man, a different person. I loved differently. I found joy and peace and meaning and satisfaction in ways I never thought I could. So I knew that even though my mind was going through this struggle, my heart had been changed. And that was enough for me. So nothing really changes after that night. Um, I'm, still doubt, I'm still having those doubts every day. But I kind of had this thing to go back on. I, no longer was I trying to like, maintain my intellectual belief. I just uh, would just trust. I just beg God, I trust you. Even if I can't believe it right now, I trust you. Well, in October of 2013, so just about a year ago, I finally conquered this struggle for good. And it happened when I attended a Robbie Dawkins conference in Florence. Now, for those of you who know who Robbie Dawkins is, um, this might sound like something that you would expect to happen. Uh, if you don't know who Robbie Dawkins is, he's like a vineyard pastor, um, evangelist. He like travels around the globe going church to church, teaching the congregation how to evangelize with the power of the Holy Spirit in the presence of God. And, you know, he talks about all these miracles he's seen of blind eyes opened and people levitating and all this stuff. And so you might expect, oh, well, you went to the conference and you saw some crazy healing and that took away your doubts. You might expect that. It actually wasn't that at all. It was something much deeper, much more impactful, for me that I experienced at that conference. You see, Robbie was teaching about identity. And at this point, I thought I knew everything there was to know about identity. I thought I completely understood it. I've, I've, I'm kind of realizing now that I think I'll probably be learning about identity for the rest of my life. Um, I'm probably never going to fully understand it. But um, he's talking about identity and how we identify ourselves. And he talks about how Satan is the great identity thief. Meaning that he, his major goal, to att- his, like, his ultimate strategy for attacking us, is to get us to believe that we're someone we're not. And to get us to disbelieve that we could ev- ever be anywhere close to Jesus. And so he's talking about that, and about how the enemy wants us to believe that, we are, that we're different. And something just clicked in my mind. I realized for the past two years, I've believed the lie that I just think differently than every other Christian. And that my brain just needs different kind of proof. And that I could never be at, as at peace with my faith as any of my friends who are around me. That I'm just different. And I realized that, no, I don't identify myself by that. I identify myself by who Jesus is. He didn't have doubt. He didn't have unbelief. That's what it really was, was unbelief. He was able to believe in God with pure faith. And that's who I identify myself by. I don't have to accept that I'm this different kind of person. I accept I'm this kind of person because I've been changed and I'm a new creation. That old mind is gone and a new mind has been put in its place. And so I started rejecting that lie out loud. I, be, I reject the lie that I'm just one who doubts. I reject that in the name of Jesus. And I accept the truth that I'm one who has extraordinary faith. And I just would say that over and over again. Every time that I would feel those doubts well up. And I remember like three weeks after the conference. I just like realized, whoa. It's been like a week and a half since I had any doubts. And... And then ironically, I saw Robbie again in January and actually did end up seeing a miracle. So it was kind of, you know, it was kind of ironic. Um, I saw, uh, some of you have seen the video. I saw a leg, kind of a leg grow out. If you don't know what that means, this, uh, this woman had a leg that was an inch shorter than the other one. And we sat her up against a chair and she had her legs out and one was kind of like this far back. And then uh, the guy praying said, in Jesus' name, grow. And it just it just literally grew out right before my eyes. You know, She stood up and didn't have any pain in her back. We sat her back down, put her legs out again. They were perfectly even. It was crazy. <laughs> um, but I didn't, it didn't take that for me to stop doubting. And y'all want to know something? I think I probably still would have had unbelief and had doubts. Even if I would have seen that. Because... The issue wasn't what I was seeing, it was what I was believing about myself. And when I was able to just to start rejecting that lie, that's when I found true freedom there. And it's, it's been so awesome not dealing with that and, and actually being able to have victory over that. That's the main struggle I got through. Now I just want to tell all of you a little bit about some awesome things God's been doing in my life, particularly in... Um, the Young Adults Ministry here, House Group. So how did House Group start? Well, in January of 2013 is when House Group met for the first time, although it looked nothing like it does now at that moment. You see, Wilson and I, we have a group of friends that we were incredibly close to in high school and early college, a group that we had run around with and we'd play shows with and get in trouble with. And this, and this group of friends, we always just desperately wanted to, uh, once him and I came back to the Lord, we desperately wanted them to experience the same freedom and life and joy that we had found in Jesus. And so um, we, we, we were constantly thinking about how we could be on mission to, to, wit- to witness and minister to our friends. And even though we had that desire, there were times where we had like little doors open up and then we wouldn't act on them and they would shut. For example, one time my friend Chad called me and he had just gone to a Christmas mass with his uh, girlfriend at the time. And he called me and he said, Luke, I, uh, I just had this weird experience in church and I really want to come to church with you and learn more about God. Well, the next week, he was sick, so he couldn't come to church with me. The week after that, our schedules didn't align, and it kind of just never happened. Same thing happened with Wilson one time. There was a uh, guy named Ryan that he, that wanted to do a Bible study with him, and schedules didn't line up, and it just didn't happen, and the door closed. So we're in January of 2013, and our friend Greg, who's a part of this friend group, he asks me, Luke... You know, we're sitting next to each other in his apartment on the couch. Hey, Luke, I had this really crazy encounter with God when I went to church last weekend for the first time in years. And I really want to know more about Jesus. Would you and Wilson be willing to do a Bible study with me? And, you know, I'm like, yeah, sure, that'd be cool. I'm kind of playing it chill. Inside, I'm like jumping for joy and like, woo, yeah, you know. And then I tell Wilson, and we're like, woo, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. and so we're super excited because we, we 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 have we just love all these guys and we love our we love our friends that we grew up with. And so we plan to do it on a Tuesday, meet in meeting Clifton at Roast Street Cafe, and go over Mark Five with him. Well, just like with the other two um, examples I shared earlier, on the actual day that we were planning on meeting, things came up, and we we tempted not to actually go through with it. For example, I realized that that Wednesday morning, I had to wake up at 4.30 in the morning. And so I was like thinking, okay, if we meet with him at 9, and it goes to like 11, and I get home at like 11.30, it's like five hours of sleep. I want more sleep than that. and so, And so I'm like not wanting to do it. And then Wilson just gets hit with this piercing headache out of nowhere. And it's this migraine. And he's like, Oh, I, I don't know if I can go out. I, I think I need to go home and rest. And, and so I'm like, Oh yeah, your health. We got to make sure we watch out for your health. You know, <laughs> Inside. I'm like, I want more sleep, but like, your health. Will, we got to help with your health. <clears throat> I'm like, and he's like, let me just go home and I'll think about it. And I'm like, okay. Um, and I let him make the decision. I'm pretty confident that we're not going to meet When I look back at those two things, that was spiritual warfare. The enemy did not want what was about to happen to happen. Um, Wilson uh, texts me and he makes the decision, hey, we just got to do it. I'm like, okay, you're right. We got to do it. So the three of us meet in Clifton and we go over Mark 5. Nothing really crazy happens. Really, it's just Will and I preaching at him for about an hour and a half. Um, He didn't really have much to say. So Greg, what do you think about that? he just like kind of nod his head. Yeah, keep going. Um, We decided to meet again the next week. We didn't really plan on it being every week, but we just decided to meet again the next week. And we invited one of our other friends, Andy, to come. He was a believer. He was a part of that same group of friends that I was telling you about. And so the four of us go over uh, a passage in Daniel. And I remember after we talked about the passage, we went to kind of have the time to pray for each other. And the second, we, the second that Greg and Andy share what their prayer request was, they just burst into tears. And Will and I just start praying for them and ministering to them. They were both going through really tough times. Greg's parents had just split up um, because of an affair. And uh, Andy had just, his, he just called off his wedding, basically. And so they were going through really tough times. And in that, first, that second meeting, when that happened, I knew God was doing something big. Well, the four-guy Bible study, we just kept meeting. Eventually, we switched to Fridays because Tuesday was inconvenient for our schedules. The four-man Bible study went to about a 12-person Bible study in April. About 12 guys meeting every week, studying the Bible together. And at this point, we started to think, should we bring women in a part, to be a part of this? Should we include girls in on this? Um, that was kind of risky our conversations were able to go to a depth that we were thinking we might not be able to get to if we make this co-ed. But we really felt the Lord leading, and so we invited... um, I I knew Amanda Richberg, who was just up here, and then another girl named Abby, who I'm friends with, to come and be a part of it. Will brought Jen Jordan, his now fiancé, and another girl. And so it was these four girls that came the first time. And about 12 guys... And since that meeting in May, when, we, when house group, as we later named it, became co-ed, since that meeting, there has never been a house group where not at least one new person was there. Not one. In over a year. And now we have two groups I mean, on Thursday and Friday. So that's crazy. <clears throat> um, quickly in the summer, the 12-person group went to about a 20-person group then in that fall we started to grow again and we added in another leadership team. And then we're, now we're in the thirties and, and we haven't, an, we haven't, we have like a journal for house group and there's one page where it's like 34 people. Whoa, that's crazy. Exclamation point. We had 81 people, you know, like last summer. So, but 34 at that point, it's like, man, that's crazy. <clears throat> and, and so, yeah, we, uh, we got to the spring of this year and we're averaging forties, but every once in a while there's like 55 people that show up and 55 people in the Cochran's basement was, (laughs) it was exciting and fun, but it also wasn't so much fun. It was chaotic and the temperature would go up about 20 degrees. It's like a sauna down there. And the air was like all recycled breath, you know, (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, you know, despite that, people are just worshiping and you know, singing their hearts out. <clears throat> um, and so we start to realize, and that was, that was the exception. We were averaging about 40. We start to realize, okay, this ain't working out so well in this basement. We need to either get a bigger building or do a different plan. Well, since the beginning, Will and I, and then later Amanda and Jen, we had always... Um, we had always known that God's plan for this group wasn't to just become, um, wasn't to become a big church body. Not for us, anyways. Nothing that, there's nothing wrong with that. We uh, knew we needed to keep the numbers in the 30s and the 40s to maintain that kind of like intimate relational atmosphere. So we decided what we need to do is send half our people to another house on Thursday nights and keep half our people here on Friday. And so I'm thinking, okay we're going to do this it'll be about 20 in each house it's going to be like probably really hard everyone's been used to like 40 45 it's going to be 20 and i had all these strategies you know for how to like cope with the transition and well if we do this and do that and you say this and and then that first thursday comes and there's 45 people there and that first friday comes and there's 65 people there and <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, you know, math doesn't add up. That's Jesus math right there. That's like multiplying loaves. Um, and so God's just been doing so many amazing things. Um, don't ask me how I know this, but I know. House group people have ministered to 1,730-some strangers since April. Um, there's been seven people. Okay, okay. There's been seven people that we've seen born again in the streets, just complete strangers. Hey, can we pray for you? Sure. Five minutes later, they're giving their life to Christ. Um, there are uh, two groups now that are each have like 25 leaders on them. We have a 50-person leadership team in-house group. And, and we're about to start our third group in Westchester, starting in the first Friday of November. Yeah, so that's cool. And, uh... And that's not, I I say all that not to brag, but that's not something that just young adults celebrate. We would not be where we are without this church. And that's something that we all as a church can celebrate, the stuff God is doing young adults. So, yeah, it's just awesome. Um, Okay, that's enough for me. Worship band, come on up. Let's worship. But this life that we get to live, it really is new. It's not the same as the old one. It's different, and even if you're in a place right now where your life doesn't feel much different, maybe you have the same struggles, maybe you have the same um, the same difficult circumstances. Maybe it feels the same. Jesus is with you. He's going to take you out of it, and it's going to be awesome. So, Lord, we thank you for all, all that you're doing in our lives. We love you. And together we just declare that we are a body that is on mission to bring the kingdom of God in Cincinnati, in Ohio, in this country, in the world. That we are on mission to bring people into a place where they encounter the Holy Spirit's presence. Where they're presented the gospel in a way that Jesus would present it. So fill us up anew, refresh us. Let your peace rule in our hearts. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's stand. Come to the front for worship. Anyone that wants to, let's do this.